Welcome back, Heming Brain Face People, Human Brains, to the Hemingway List Brainiac Athon, Book 10, Chapter 2. The old prince is clearly starting to show signs of aging in this chapter. What effect might his illness have on his dependence, especially with the fighting becoming closer? It's a funny use of the word dependence. Can a fully grown and relatively independent child be called a dependent? Maybe they are dependent, seeing as though prince, the old prince would control all the money. Uh, do you think the talk of the old prince's will at the end is an amount of foreshadowing or something else? What might it point to? Always banging on about wills in these old books, aren't they? Pythagorean B and said, Dementia is a rough disease. I'm sure most people here have some experience with it. What doesn't help is when the demented person is already demented. Sounds so harsh. Is already so difficult to be around like the old prince. I'm sure this is taking a huge toll on everyone around him, especially Maya. And with the French so close, I hope someone takes charge and gets them to Moscow soon enough. As the prince doesn't seem too, too keen to leave Bald Hills. Yeah, uh, old prince, well, yeah, he never wants to leave Bald Hills. You have to drag him out of there kicking and screaming. Four lost souls in a bowl says it's becoming more and more clear that the old prince will soon be unable to make healthy decisions for himself or his household. Unless Andre comes back soon, Maya is going to need to step up. She can't continue to take her father's proclamations as gospel truth with complete ignorance of the reality around them. Otherwise, I fear for them all. Uh, Pythagorean being responds saying, I'd argue he already has made some horrible decisions. If you see by this map, we're going to have a look at this map, Bald Hills is very close to Smolensk, which Napoleon has already reached. Hopefully they sneak out the back door soon. Let me look at this map. Bald Hills. Where the heck is Bald Hills? Is that the map? That's the map. Uh, I'm looking at the map. Ah, oh, it's an interactive map. Okay. Uh, it'll take me forever to find Bald Hills. Oh, I found Bald Hills. Okay, it's a very confusing and difficult to use map, but I'll take your word for it. Napoleon is very close to Bald Hills, and they should be bloody getting the heck out of there. Alright, let's read chapter 3, which goes exactly like this because I'm reading it. When Michael Ivanovich returned to the study with the letter, the old prince with spectacles on and a shade over his eyes was sitting at his open bureau with screened candles, holding a paper in his outstretched hand and in a somewhat dramatic attitude was reading his manuscript. His remarks, as he termed it, which was to be transmitted to the emperor after his death, when Michael Ivanovich went in there, in there were tears in the prince's eyes, evoked by the memory of the time when the paper he was now reading had been written. He took the letter from Michael Ivanovich's hand, put it in his pocket, folded up his papers, and called in Alpatish, who had long been waiting. The prince had a long list of things to be bought in Smolensk, and walking up and down the room past Alpatish, who stood by the door, he gave his instructions. First note paper, do you hear? Eight choirs, like this sample. Gilt edged, it must be exactly like this sample. Varnish, sealing wax, 
as in Michael Ivanovich's list. He paced up and down for a while and glanced at his notes, then hand to the governor in person a letter about the deed. Next, bolts for the doors of the new building were wanted and had to be of a special shape the prince had himself designed, and a leather case had to be ordered to keep the will in. The instructions to Alpatiche took over two hours and still the prince did not let him go. He sat down, sank into thought, closed his eyes and dozed off. Alpatiche made a slight movement. Well, go, go. If anything more is wanted, I'll send after you. Alpatiche went out. The prince again went to his bureau, glanced at it, fingered his papers, closed the bureau again and sat down at the table to write to the governor. It was already late when he rose after sealing the letter. He wished to sleep, but he knew he would not be able to, and that most depressing thoughts came to him in bed. So he called Tikon and went through the rooms with him to show him where to set up the bed for that night. He went about looking at every corner. Every place seemed unsatisfactory, but worst of all was his customary couch in the study. That couch was dreadful to him, probably because of the oppressive thoughts he had had when lying there. It was unsatisfactory everywhere, but the corner behind the piano in the sitting room was better than other places. He had never slept there yet. With the help of a footman, Tikon brought in the bedstead and began putting up, putting it up. That's not right, that's not right, cried the prince, and himself pushed it a few inches from the corner and then closer in again. Well, at last I've finished, now I'll rest, thought the prince, and let Tikon undress him, frowning in with vexation at the effort necessary to divide divest himself of his coat and trousers the prince undressed sat down heavily on the bed and appeared to be meditating as he looked contemptuously at his withered yellow legs he was not meditating but only deferring the moment of making the effort to lift those legs up and turn over on the bed oh how hard it is oh that is this toil might end and you would release me thought he pressing his lips together he made that effort for the twenty thousandth time and lay down but hardly had he done so before he felt the bed rocking backwards and backwards and forwards beneath him, as if it were breathing heavily and jolting. This happened to him almost every night. He opened his eyes as they were closing. No peace, damn them, he muttered, angry he knew not with whom. Ah, yes, there was something else important, very important, that I was keeping till I should be in bed. The bolts? No, I told him about them. No, it was something, something in the drawing room. Princess Mary talked with some nonsense to Silas. That fool said something, something in my pocket. Can't remember. Tikon, what did we talk about at dinner? About Prince Michael. Be quiet, quiet. The prince slapped his hand on the table. Yes, I know. Prince Andre's letter. Prince Mary read it to Silas. Said something about Vitebsk. Now I'll read it. He had the letter taken from his pocket and on the table on which stood a glass of lemonade and a spiral wax candle, moved close to the bed, and putting on his spectacles, he began reading, only now in the stillness of the night, reading it by the faint light under the green shade, did he grasp its meaning for a moment. The French at Vitebsk. In four days' march, they may be at Smolensk, perhaps already there. Tikon? Tikon jumped up. No, no, I don't want anything, he shouted. He put the letter under the candlestick and closed his eyes, and there rose before him the Dunabi at bright noonday, reads the Russian camp, and himself, a young general, without a wrinkle on his ruddy face, vigorous and alert, entering Potemkin's gaily-coloured tent, and a burning sense of jealousy of the favourite agitated him now as strongly as it had done then. 
He recalled all the words spoken at that first meeting with Potemkin, and he saw before him a plump, rather sallow-faced, short, stout woman, the Empress Mother, with her smile and her words at the first gracious reception of him, and then that same face on the catafalque, and the encounter he had with Zubov over her coffin about his right to kiss her hand. Oh, quicker, quicker, to get back to that time and have done with all the present, quicker, quicker, and that they should leave me in peace. All right. There's another chapter for you. Old man Bolkonski, he's, uh, he's a bit over it, I think. Doesn't want to be there anymore. I like that detail about how he's sleeping in a different spot, a different corner of the, or a different room every night. And um, once he has, it's kind of ruined that for him because he has such dark thoughts as he tries to sleep that um, the next night that spot reminds him of those dark thoughts. He's running out of fresh places to sleep where he hasn't already contaminated them with his darkness. What a great detail. All right, have your say about that on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you tomorrow.